You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players so that you too can raise your game and become a greater impact player yourself. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and man, do I have a great interview to share with you today. It's with Robin Benincasa, who, if you don't know her, she is an absolute beast, and it's an incredible honor for me to have her on the show. She is a world champion adventure racer, which we get into. I'll tell you a little bit more about what that is in a minute. Um, She's an award-winning motivational speaker, a three-times Guinness World Record kayaker. She's a San Diego firefighter, a 10 times Ironman triathlete. She's a New York Times bestselling author, uh, proud owner of two bionic metal hips, and she's also the founder and CEO of the nonprofit Project Athena Foundation, which helps survivors live an adventurous dream as part of their recovery, which is a really phenomenal organization that she set up. And we talk a little bit more about that on the call. But um, I wanted to also let you know that Robin has done a lot of work with many Fortune 500 companies, um, smaller companies as well. She's done several keynotes where she, uh, you know, I really think that her biggest impact is in her ability to share the information that she's gained out of all these tremendous adventure and uh, endurance level athletic events, where she talks about leadership and team building. Um, She puts into words what I think very few leaders are able to do, and she does it with a love and uh, uh, and just a desire to bring people together, to bring them up and rise them up to higher uh, achievements than they could on their own. And uh, there's so much wisdom in this in this interview. I hope you really listen to it, take some notes, and if you would, if you would download it on iTunes, share it, and leave a review. That would really help get this particular interview more visibility, which would mean a lot to uh, both me and Robin. We'd appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that. We'll dive into the call right now. So here I am with Robin Benincasa. All right. I'm here with Robin Benincasa. Robin, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> where, do, where, where does uh, Benincasa come from? That sounds like a, a Spanglish word I would have made up while I was trying to figure things out down in Latin America. What what what's the background on that? Um, I think Italian. Um, well, from you know, from what I understand, from my my grandfather's parents came from Italy, but we're a whole big hodgepodge of all kinds of things. But so it also sounds Spanish, though. So whenever anyone's asking me actually like how they pronounce my last name, I always say just think of like been in the house. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that that I, I seriously feel like it's something I would have said. You know. If I was in trouble down in Latin America, where have you been? I, like, uh, I don't know how to say been in the casa. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, so glad that we got that cleared up. Um, for those that uh, aren't familiar with who you are and the amazing things that you've done, can you kind of just give a brief overview of, of your background and what you're doing now? Because um, there's a lot there that, that people need to know. Oh, boy. Um Okay, so where, where do I start? Um, well, I've been a, uh, a San Diego firefighter for 20 years. Um, just turned up my 20 years on that. And an endurance athlete for, oh, dear little baby Jesus. Um, probably about 25, no, 30 years. That's frightening. Um, yeah, 30 years. And then uh, all kinds of, you know, other, you know, gymnastics, track, all that kind of stuff back in the day. But um, sort of the most compelling and inspiring thing, you know, sport that I've come across that I had done for about uh, 17 years was um, the sport of adventure racing. And that kind of led to a whole number of different interesting avenues and offshoots in my life. Um, so many questions come up for all, all of the things that you've been into, but first and foremost, with the firefighting, has that been, um, I mean, I know there's been tons of fires out there lately. Have you been actively involved trying to to mitigate the fires out there not the most recent ones uh sort of the the bigger fires um probably about seven eight years ago that sort of took over san diego uh we were some of the first in strike teams on that in the last couple years uh i've actually been working at the airport fire station where we we mostly do the airport aircraft firefighting okay uh, and we also staff the department so uh, we sort of have a dual purpose down there. So I was actually the person that was actually building the strike teams to go, but because we're the airport firefighters, we're not allowed to, you know, go on the strike teams anymore. Wow. So like, do you, is there different training for that than a traditional fire person that, you know, does house fires? 
You mean the brush or the aircraft stuff? Well, but both. Um, well, the brush stuff you sort of learn as part of the San Diego Fire Department. And uh, the aircraft stuff, you have to take uh, some special classes before you actually are able to get into the, they call it the ARF station, the aircraft firefighting. And, um, you know, that's just a number of, of different courses and how to fight aircraft fires and how to fight fuel fires and all the different kinds of things that can happen with an airplane. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. How did you get into firefighting? Um, a wild hair. Um, <laughs> uh, it's funny because I was actually um, dating a guy at the time who was looking into the fire department and I was just getting out of um, pharmaceutical sales. Right. And um, it was sort of like that intersection crossed of me leaving one thing and my boyfriend. I was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm going to become a San Diego firefighter. I'm like, can I do that? <laughs> 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 so, I mean, just so much of my life has happened like that, just um, sort of unintentional awesomeness. Um, <laughs> that, I'm gonna, that might be the title of this show, Unintentional Awesomeness with Robin Benincasa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know many pharmaceutical salespeople that just naturally, you know, turn right and go into firefighting. That, that seems a, a pretty dramatic change. <laughs> Well, okay, so part of the other unintentional awesomeness that happened that, that sort of led that direction was um, I actually got fired from my pharmaceutical job. Okay. <laughs> and the reason that was um, was because I had started doing Ironman triathlons. And um, I, was, I was doing really, really well, actually, in my pharmaceutical sales. And I just had one new district manager who didn't like the fact that I was sort of doing so much of my own racing. And I went to go do an Ironman and he told me he didn't want me to go. And I was on my own vacation time, but he told me he didn't want me to go. And so while I was gone, he found some old expense reports that I had turned in like a couple days late and he decided he was going to make a case out of it. And I just got thrown under the bus. Oh my gosh. So I was like rookie of the year in sales and everything. It was, it was really horrifying actually, like for someone who had like, you know, done everything right my whole life and gotten straight A's and I had this great job and just, you know, you just run into people in life, you know, that, that there's this whatever thing with. And, um, and, but looking back, honestly, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. I would have never become a firefighter. I would have never, um, you know, if he was still my manager, I would have never, you know, continued to go on in sports and endurance stuff. And, and um, so really, like, I count that as one of the very best things that ever happened to me in, in my whole life. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> what an asshole. Oh, man. But, right? I mean, what? I but can't... every year I want to send him, like, a Christmas card and be like, oh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> um, for those that don't know what endurance, uh, being an endurance athlete is, I mean, obviously you mentioned the Ironman. Does that include uh, – uh, other types of events too. I mean, adventure racing, of course, is that sort of an umbrella term for all of those different multi-day, multi-crazy? Yeah. Events? Like I think when people say they're an endurance athlete, it could be a number of different things. It could be like ultra distance running, uh, ultra distance cycling, ultra distance paddling, adventure. <coughs> Are you okay? You poor thing. I know. It, it's, I, I'm, I was on the fence. I'm like, should I, I didn't want to have to reschedule again. We already had to reschedule once, but I got half my voice. I'm like, you know what? I shouldn't be talking anyway, so I'm going to let her do the talking, but <laughs> here I am coughing too. Sending so you good juju from, from afar. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so for me, it was sort of all of the above, honestly. Like kind of after Ironman, I went into adventure racing and then um, made a weird turn into judo. That was kind of a weird little several year phase and then, um but then uh i did some ultra distance cycling some ultra running and then my ultimate love it turns out turned out to be ultra distance paddling and right. that's what i've been doing the last few years um since having all my my metal parts put in which is a whole nother <laughs> do you have you you hold some records for that don't you um i i held three um guinness world records for like just goofy things like you know longest distance paddled by you know a girl in a kayak in 24 hours or um i actually still hold that one okay uh, or as far as i know but when i looked a couple few months ago um but i also so i have the moving water record i had the flat water record somebody broke that and then um i set the first 24-hour stand-up paddling record 
um, just on a goof um, with a with with a kayak paddle, which is really a cool thing. If, if you've never like propelled a stand up board with a um, kayak paddle, it's way more efficient. And okay, you you don't sort of do this sniggly back and forth thing. You actually just hold a straight line the whole time. And um, my kayak paddle is like eleven feet long that I use for my stand up board. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Awesome. So, I love it. But the, the, a normal stand-up paddle board, does it have a little bend in it, right? Does it have a bend in the paddle or no? I'd... Some of them do. Okay. Um, they, they de- their little, the little face of the paddle just sort of usually kicks up a little bit so you can grab more water. But um, no, I found the kayak paddle just for me with my kayak background. You know, people that come from like outrigger or canoeing, they're really good with the canoe paddles, which is right. sort of that single blade and, and then you switch hands and use it on the other side kayak paddle you know you got blades on both sides and you're able to just swing back and forth with it and um, i I got kicked out of stand-up paddling early because i showed up with my kayak paddle instead of my (laughs) my canoe paddle i didn't know know, it wasn't a rule back then they've changed rules since then what what's the actual record is it distance uh in 24 hours did you say yeah and so they have different sort of categories like moving water flat water and open water so like moving water is on a river um, you know, open water would be ocean and flat water would be like, you know, lake or, or something similar. So, and you know, how far did you go? Uh, on the stand up board or the kayak? I uh, was a little, let's do stand up first. Uh, stand up was 97 miles. Oh my God. In, in 24 um, hours? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, um, and then the, um, the moving water kayak one is 221 miles. Good Lord. I'm assuming you're going downstream. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Are your arms just, I mean, I can't even imagine at the end of that. How long does it take you to recover from something like that? Um, A long time. Like, gosh, we, uh, we always got like this crazy, we always called it like an adventure race and we called it PRD, post-race depression, which is not just a mental thing. Like your whole body is just a mess. Like oh my gosh. everything swells up and you look like you gained about 30 pounds and wow. like you can, you just eat till you're sleepy and sleep till you're hungry. I was just going to say, how do you, do you eat? <laughs> uh, you got to be eating something on those, right? Are you, you carrying stuff with you or do you have a, a trail boat or something that, that supplies you with stuff or? Yeah, well, so so the the twenty four hour thing, you're sort of allowed to um, you know have a boat that kind of goes next to it in in the river, for example. Um, in the the flat water one, we we after, after several miles, we'd come back and see our crew again. And you you know you could stop and, but in general, like my my favorite race to do in, in paddling, since we're on the subject, is called the Missouri River three forty, and it's that's a three hundred and forty mile nonstop paddle from Kansas City to St. Charles. Oh wow. Um, yeah, down the Missouri River. It's awesome. That's and, just a few minutes um, from where I'm at. Oh, for real? Yeah, I'm in the St. Louis area, so. Didn't know that. Yeah. So, what, you must, you got to know about the three, four. I know. I was just going to say, how do I, how, how have I not heard about that before? So, um, do you do that every year or how often do that? Um, I, I've done, oh, I've done five of those now. And um, I love it. I've done, I've done them all solo. And, you know, so that part of the game is not, not how fast you go in a lot of endurance stuff. It's, it's how little you stop. So that's part of the game in all these things is sort of like the, someone could go really, really fast, but then like they see their crew and they get out and they have a hamburger and they go to the bathroom and they, you know, stuff you would normally like to do, but, but all of a sudden that's 12, 15 minutes yeah. that you're not in the boat and I'm, and I'm a mile down the river. You know, because I didn't didn't stop, or I'm just eating more efficiently, or my my paddles in the water more. Um, you know, so that's also you know it's a big part of that game is, huh. is slowing down less or getting out of the boat less. Interesting. And, yeah, I love that race. That's my favorite race. I just love the nonstop nature of it. It goes for for me at the knock on wood. I've been at the front of the pack a bunch, uh, but it goes two two full days and and two full nights kind of. <sighs> How, um, do you have? Do you sleep at all during that? Not if you want no, to win. No, not if you want to win. Damn, that's. I mean, a lot of people do. I mean, some people like just like literally, they're like out there in their big silver canoes and their barbecue and their beer cooler <laughs> and their dog and like you know they, they do it in like four or five days or whatever you know. That's um, the Missouri I know and love. Yeah. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. I, me too i i i love i love everyone in that race like it's Is just that a- cool down home super cool no you know nobody like marching around in their lycra showing off their abs you know it's just like just yeah, awesome. we don't we don't do abs here in Missouri. <clears throat> I told a friend the other day, I'm like, there's a there's a 15 pound tax when you move to Missouri because everything's fried. You know, it's uh. chain restaurant. I mean, there's plenty of great restaurants, but I, you know, coming from the coast, I was coming from Florida when I moved here, and everything's fresh and whatever down there. But here, it's yeah, you you have to. There's a there's a Missouri tax. I call it the 15 pound Missouri. That's tax. awesome. <laughs> But is that it? so cool and so nice and you know like, like it's good hey, people here. yeah really good uh people. is that race uh like a like a um what's his name mark twain inspired thing or uh huckleberry finn or lewis clark inspired thing lewis and clark uh, yeah yeah and it actually finishes at like a, a boathouse um off of uh yeah, near St. Charles, where it has some historical significance to the whole Lewis and Clark expedition. Gotcha. So it's down by the Ameristar is actually where it sort of finishes. Um, that big casino down there. Yes. Okay. Yep. I know right yeah. that. So, yeah. Well, that, spent, the you know, river gets pretty, pretty dangerous uh, with all the debris in there. And, like, it, there's some – when it gets narrow, it's pretty fast moving there. I mean, is it – do you are do you train at all for the – for the safety aspect because it's not just a little it's a lot of moving water is i get i guess what i'm getting uh, at there there are like a bunch of obstacles in terms of like the bridges and um you know the huge cans that are that are there for you know to tell the boats where to go and right. and you know there's just stuff and crap and things in there and um, that's part <laughs> of the game too you know it's <laughs> it's like it's almost like you feel like a little baby turtle and you hatch at the start line and everyone starts running for the beach <laughs> and it's like, who's going to make it? Who's going to actually make it all the way to the finish line. And a lot of things are, are in your control. A lot of things aren't in your control. And, you know, so, and then there's the weather and, you know, two years ago, I actually did that race with a broken leg. And so I like crutched down. To the start. <laughs> I had a bike crash two weeks before it and cracked my femur. Oh, your femur? You had a broken femur and you did this? I go all the way through. It was just cracked. Like, oh, no- okay. I, I I thought you did something difficult. But no, that, no, it didn't. That sounds no. easy. I mean, it, <laughs> so I was on crutches, you know. I was on crutches for six weeks or whatever. Oh, my God. Um, but I couldn't put any weight on it because it was cracked. So, I like, I crutched down to the boat and I got in, which is, you know, not a big deal. I just couldn't use that leg, you know. Right. But I mostly needed my back and my arms and my and my shoulders um but the only bummer which i didn't hadn't fully factored in was like what was going to happen if there was a huge storm out there and there was it was like gnarly like lightning and thunder and the and the lightning was coming down down to the river like right in front of me and i was like oh crap like i i'm either gonna die or i'm gonna kick ass in this race because i can't get out of my boat like I couldn't pull over and get out like everybody else. I, wow. I couldn't, I well, couldn't walk. I couldn't get out. <laughs> so it was like, Only one I'm going to win or I'm going to die. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll just try to focus on winning <laughs> and not dying. <clears throat> I don't die. I don't die. Uh, don't die. Don't die. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that's pretty intense, Robin. Um, are you, I, I mean, you're not sleeping that entire time. You're going through the night. Is it what, like, what if you did fall asleep? What if you fell over? What, you know, it happens to, it happens to people all the time. And, and we've had people get run over by barges, like in the middle of the night, like, cause they're yeah, still yeah, running. The barge traffic is insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you hear them coming and you pray to God that they can see you, you know, you have lights on your boats and, but you really got to pay attention because um, you know, so, so if there's the things in your way, there's the weather, then there's the barges. And after a barge goes through, even if you don't get run over, it kicks up so many huge waves that are, that keep coming for like an hour <laughs> after the barge goes by. Wow. And you're just surfing and praying for like an hour after every barge that goes by. And, you know, so, so part of what I do for that race is I actually have 
little teeny tiny um, little skis that I put off the back of my of my kayak that are actually like little tiny training wheels. Mm. Um, and it, it helps me mentally because I know that if I am going over, if I am going in, like it's going to, it's going to catch me. It adds a little weight to the boat, but for me, it actually adds a lot of speed because Hmm. I have the confidence to paddle through a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't. Wow. You know, so that, you know, it sounds, it sounds like, well, why would you add extra weight to your boat? Um, it adds a couple pounds, but it also adds a heck of a lot of confidence and a heck of a lot of speed and heck of a lot of ability to keep going when other people get so tippy, you know, after 24 hours, you get pretty tippy. Like you're, <laughs> you're messed up. Right. <laughs> you're not thinking straight. You're dehydrated. Your boat seems like five times tippier than when, than when you started. And that's where people start falling apart and having to get off the river and take like two, three or four hours of sleep and then get right. back. Up. So, well, I mean, and you mentioned somebody had actually gotten run over by a, a barge. Yeah. God, oh, but several times. Well, one, one couple, they, they were in big trouble. Like they didn't just like kind of get pulled in next to a barge and get caught in their wake. Like it actually ran them over. Their boat was destroyed. And so they had to, you know, not only find a way to pop out the other side after they got run over, but you know, in the, you know, reconvene on the beach and try to, to get help. Well, those things are not tiny. I mean, I, I mean, I would think if it would end you, if you got run over, they were able to squirt no, out. Both okay-ish, you know, aside from, you know, scared the bejesus out of them. And yeah, both, but Those things are big. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the adventure racing, because I've heard a few stories about you that are just mind-boggling um, on the adventure. Uh-oh. Is that something that you're still doing? Uh, not now, um, because I've had six hip replacements. So, oh. that's, so that's actually why I started paddling. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, my, uh, my, my career in adventure racing ended, I want to say about 10, uh, yeah, almost 10 years ago now, because I started having, I've actually had six hip replacements now, but, um, but it, it was a 17 year long career. I started way back in, uh, oh God, our year of the baby Jesus in 1993, 94 in, um, a big race called the Raid Galois in Borneo where we had a, we had an all female team and we placed dead last, but, but I was hooked. Like, I was like, this is the thing I was meant to do. It's pretty cool. There, a lot of people don't really know what adventure racing is to, uh, tell people what that is. Oh, lost you for a second. So, <laughs> so it's, um, it's a sport that was invented by kind of a crazy uh, Frenchman and he decided he was going to try to mimic the Whitbread round the world sailing race on land. And so you kind of have like five or four person teams, depending on the rules. And he decided each team needed to have one man and one woman. So he, in, in his um, original rules, you had to have mixed gender teams. And so in a lot of cases end up being four, four men and, and one woman. But, um, and then he'd say, uh, Hey, meet me in the most remote place you can find on earth. You know, like I'm going to meet you out on a mountaintop in Tibet or, you know, at the, at the edge of this river in Fiji or whatever. And then they hand you a kind of set of maps and road rules and tell you where the 30 or 40 or 50 checkpoints are going to be. And you spend all night like kind of charting your course because there's not a set course. So you can get to these checkpoints in any way that you want, which is a big part of the game is the navigation. Mm-hmm. And then you're, it's all non-motorized transportation that you have to use throughout the course, like um, kayaking, mountain biking, whatever, rafting, running, mountaineering. Um, we've uh, like ridden horses, um, had camels as teammates. <laughs> just... oh, I lost you again. And at the, uh, and it's literally completely nonstop. Yeah, my dad has decided that this is a real, this is a good time. <laughs> um and so uh it's literally kind of whoever gets across the finish line first wins and it's generally non-stop so and it's six to ten days long usually like 600 to a thousand miles you have to stay with every single person on the team the entire time 
So that's a big part of the, of the race that's staying together. So for those that don't know, you have, it's four person teams. And, and in this case, you have three, typically three men and one woman, because you have to have at least one female, correct? Um, and for those that are uber competitive, if you're looking to, you know, go the farthest, go the fastest, whatever. So Robin, you've been the female on several of these men's teams. And <clears throat> because you have to stay together, uh, you're, you're basically held by your slowest link. And as you've explained to me, there's been times where every, everybody plays the slowest link at some point based on, you know, what type of thing you're traversing. I imagine you're out in front on the paddleboarding or whatever. But um, I think one of the most compelling and fascinating things about your experience and what you've been doing that I've heard you, because I heard you speak uh, a few years ago and you were talking about leadership and you were talking about the type of, you know, qualities and principles that you've learned being in these, um, these teams and forcing, because the sport forces you to stay together, that the kind of things that you've had to learn, what are some of the, the biggest takeaways when it, when it comes to leadership that you like to share with people that you've learned in those experiences? Yeah, well, that turned out to be the, you know, we thought it was going to be all about like who could ride the best and who could paddle the best and who could climb the best. And, and, you know, kind of in the beginning, that's how teams are put together was whoever the best athletes were, were kind of put together on a team. And, and then they just sort of walked side by side together toward the finish line. But what we discovered over the years is that it wasn't just about being good at the sports because a lot of those teams didn't succeed because they were good at their individual thing, but they weren't great at doing it together. And they hadn't figured out how to create, you know, this human synergy where like everyone is better together than any individual could ever be alone. And that's sort of where my team um, kind of early on team or teams over the years uh, sort of kind of cracked that code about how to actually be better together than you could ever be alone. And a lot of it revolved around um, our leadership styles where it was sort of like whoever was the most capable or strongest in the moment or at least sleep deprived in the moment, <laughs> um, you know, that was the person that was going to take the lead. And it wasn't something that we just said, okay, you lead now and then you lead now. And it wasn't by titles. Um, it was by strengths. And it wasn't top down, you know, it wasn't the captain making all the decisions like it is in a lot of cases in the real world. Um, you know, it was, it was who's the most capable in the moment. Because as you're sort of coming upon these challenges, you know, just a series of, of crazy challenges, you don't really necessarily know what's going to happen next. And when you're in that kind of quickly changing environment, um, the leadership has to be very kinetic and those roles have to change constantly. Like some days you're going to be out front leading the charge, you know, like me with, with a paddle or, or I was, you know, one of our better strategists and things like that. Um, some days I was going to be out front leading. Other days I was going to be on the end of the tow line, you know, in the areas that weren't my strength and just facilitating everybody else's success. And when you let that move, that sort of those strengths and challenges move around and around on your team and let people lead based on their talents and, and not your titles or your tenure, or, you know, that's where something pretty magical happens. And, and we, we did that a lot. Like we, uh, we sort of invented um, toe lines in the sport. Like we, we weren't just going to walk next to each other. We decided, well, why, why would we wait for our slowest person if we can just put them on, en on the end of a toe line and then a little bungee cord with a carabiner on the end of it and then just take them with us. Drag them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, so I was, I was dragged around a lot or like we'd take each other's weight for a while. Like if someone was sick or, or, you know, dehydrated or whatever it was, like we'd take their pack from them for a while. And so they could keep moving at the same speed and we'd all be, uh, you know, our goal was always to suffer equally, which is kind of, <laughs> which is kind of a funny sounding thing, but that's what really worked to go faster was, was like whoever felt strongest took more of the burden and, and, and helped others. And if you were sucking, you know, you accepted help. Hmm. And, you know, I think when you kind of create a team like that, like in your family or, or in your company, uh, you know, everyone is like just so engaged and so on fire. And, you know, it's, it's not about, I was here longer on, on the boss applesauce. It's let's just take all of our talents and figure this thing out. Well, I'd, I'd imagine that there's such a um, <clears throat> ego is such a thing, a difficult thing to maneuver, not just in the, the alpha energy that wants to push and be up front, but also, like you said, on the receiving side, accepting help like that. That's a, that can be a, an issue for some people on, on the ego side of things. Um, 
I think there's such a lesson in what you've done and, and what you share in uh, from these experiences from that respect uh, on both ends of that ego spectrum. Um, it, Cause it does sound like that fluidity that you guys have discovered in the, in the event is something that is rare. Unfortunately it seems rare. Um, but it's such a lesson I think for a lot of, uh, a lot of people, especially competitive ones, because you actually, it, it sounds nice, you know, from the outside looking in, but it actually is more competitive. It actually is oh, yeah. killer strategy. You better results. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I didn't, I didn't realize that at first, like actually I was the person who, uh, you know, I, I was a person who was quite a soloist, you know, in the beginning. And I would, I would like, you know, we had a few teams early on that were decently successful, but I didn't become really successful. So until I started racing with um, like the Australians and New Zealanders and, and people who sort of, it wasn't about their ego. It was about winning the race. And, you know, I, I looked at them and how they, how they raced. And I was like, man, no wonder, like a lot of the guys I raced with in the past, we were pretty good, but we weren't great. And a lot of that was because there was this, you know, no one could leave their egos at the start line. And, you know, you felt less than if somebody took your pack or, or some teams wouldn't let each other take their packs because, you know, it was their pride. Like they're literally their pride was in their backpack hmm. and, you know, and, and letting somebody else take that, they felt like they were, like they were weak. And, and, you know, I understand that I totally get it, but you have to look at the end goal. Is this about you carrying your pack or is this about the team winning race? And when I realized as I started racing with better and better teams that one of the great qualities they had was the people who needed help, they voluntarily and openly accepted help because they wanted to recover. They wanted to get better so they could lead again. Mm. And, you know, and there wasn't any ego attachment to being the person that needed help and nobody thought less of them and they didn't think less of themselves. And it was all about, I need to, to rest and recover and eat so that I can lead again. And when everybody else, when everybody feels that way, you know, and, and, and nobody is looking down on you because you're accepting help when it's just a part of the natural life cycle on a great team. Um, you know, that's where the great high level consistency happens. Hmm. And like, I lead a lot of adventures now for, for project Athena, our, our little nonprofit. And, you know, it's neat to see like corporate people come on these adventures because it's such a different world for them where, you know, we, we all travel as one big team. And when you're one of the stronger people, your job isn't to just get out in front and show how, show how awesome you are. Your job is to go to the back and help somebody else and carry extra packs for the team. You know, the goal is to get the team across the finish line. And if we are just out there as soloists to get everybody across the finish line, and like, for example, we crossed the Grand Canyon in one day, that would take 24 hours or more if, if everyone was going as an individual when we do it as a team of like 25 or 30 people and we share our strengths and we share our challenges and we literally share our food, share our water, share our stories, share our pain. You know, when, when that collective thing happens, the team actually moves faster and we get there faster than an individual could faster than a group of individuals would ever get there. And, and, you know, so it's like <clears throat> this massive light bulb that goes on for people that this teamwork thing isn't like a nicey, nice, fluffy thing it's killer strategy and once that sort of turns around in people's minds that this isn't just about being nice to each other and skipping and holding hands you know this is a way to get across our finish lines faster and and especially in a leadership role if you can show the team that your ego is left at the start line and you don't have all the answers and you want to surround yourself with great people that may have just been hired last week but they're bringing a skill and talent where they can get out in front and lead and you let them and you admire that about them. Um, you know, when people see you as, as a colleague and when you see them as a colleague, they're a hell of a lot more inspired than when it's boss and, you know, and underling. And, you know, that's how you create so much kind of engagement and ownership of outcomes is when everyone is equally pulling, you know, the best of their capacity and helping the team get across the finish line. Yeah. God, that's fascinating that collectively, you're, you're faster than an individual could be. Um, you mentioned uh, you share everything. You share your stories, you share your pain. How does that help uh, propel the team forward when you're sharing that kind of stuff? <coughs> um, 
Oh my gosh. Well, you know, it, it's funny because that that's something I learned in adventure racing was like when your pain and your and your suffering or your challenges are sort of in your own head, um, they multiply. They become little gremlins that breed and multiply. <laughs> but when um, when you when you get it out of your own head and you can actually like my favorite times were when my key, my Kiwi teammates, my New Zealand teammates, like, oh, mate, I'm sucking, you know, and they had no problem just like saying it out loud. And so that became a thing on our team. Like if we were sucking, you know, it was our job to say that so that somebody else could then uh, say, oh, you know, what do you need, mate? How can I help you? And, and sometimes it was telling stories or singing or, or, you know, just tell me a story about like when you met your wife or, or I had a teammate that, that, you know, we both knew like some of the same like complete soundtracks. So we would like sing all night, like if I was suffering. And, you know, it just takes your own problems. And when you share them, um, they don't multiply, they diminish, you know, because someone else can carry some of that weight and distract you and take your mind off of it. And when someone oh, else is, wow. is carrying your problems with you, um, you know, the, the burden is so much lighter. And, and it also seems much less crazy and gnarly when things get out of your own head you know and and someone else can say you know what mate we're going to hang in here this is a dark tough time but in two hours like they can paint a picture of what's going to happen like we're going to be at that checkpoint and there's going to be a guy with a fire there and we're going to stop for eight minutes and we're going to eat um we're going to eat something warm that i you know that that we're going to cook on the fire and like just stuff like that where like they can paint a picture of a brighter time and, and you know when you're going to get through the dark time mm. and, you know sometimes when you can't do that for yourself you know your teammate can do it for you that's fascinating um when you go into one of these major events um the endurance events what what's is there like a 50,000 foot view strategy that you think like if you were to advise somebody who was going to, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the phone because I'm uh, looking at doing something like that. Is that what, what advice do you have to say, Hey, look, you need to have these five things in place or whatever the, that may be, whether it's a vision of the end, like you said, if, do, do you have some um, structure there that could help somebody in that respect? Well, I mean, it, it, well, a couple things. Um, so certainly everyone has to be at least very capable in all of the, you know, all of the basic sports. But I always kind of found that you need two very strong people in each of the sports slash categories. Like you need at least two really strong runners. You need at least two really strong mountain bikers. You need at least two really strong paddlers and at least two really strong navigators. And, and that's not eight people. That's, you know, that's four people, <laughs> but you know, with that crossover yeah. um, of having like, you know, two of each of those um, navigators being, you know, the super key ingredient, you could have the fastest people in the world, but if they're heading the wrong direction, it doesn't matter. So, you know, the navigator is massively key and taking care of the navigator it, because their head is in the maps, their head is in the game. And so, that's one of the things I always did was like, make sure I, I fed the navigator, make sure they were always drinking. And if you can keep that person's brain in the game, hmm. um, that's huge. And um, I always went for people like sort of teammates that were not just good at the sports, but that had, that had some background and experience with them as just good human beings that were going to be there for each other. Hmm. Um, you know, if you got somebody that is a spectacular athlete, but they can't leave their ego <coughs> you know, you're, you're, that person's like, for example, like the best Ironman triathlete in the world, like a lot of Ironman triathletes, like a lot of the good guys and girls tried adventure racing. But when things happened to them that had happened before, like massive blisters or, you know, and so, and so they were weaker than they thought they were going to be because their feet hurt so bad, or they just discovered they had knee problems after never having run, you know, 70 miles before. Yeah. Um, you know, and how do, how do you handle things when, when everything sucks? You know, who are you then? Are you a person that's able to um, still keep a positive attitude, let someone else carry your pack? Uh, are you a person that's willing to carry somebody else's pack when you're strong and not just run out in front? And so I, I was hired or brought onto my team, like the person more than their like athletic talents. I mean, they had to be there as a baseline, but I'll take the person all day long that I know is going to lead, follow, 
um, you know, and always be a, a, a diligent, positive part of the team. Um, and then, you know, kind of training wise, like actually somebody asked me yesterday, like, how do you train for these things? You know? And so I always just kind of followed like an Ironman training plan uh, and, and, you know, substituting out some of the, some of the road biking for mountain biking and substituting out, you know, some of the swimming for paddling. But, um, you know, if you're sort of in that position where you're strong enough to do a decent Ironman, you'll, you'll be okay on an expedition race. What do you do when, when you're faced, when you're confronted with, um, that idea of failure or quitting? I mean, have you quit? Are there ever times where you, does that enter your thought or do you? Yeah. Once I actually, one time I had to be, um, helicoptered off a glacier in Norway. Um, that sucked. That was, I, I literally like, I had such gnarly trench foot. I had already literally crawled for about three hours on the glacier and I, I couldn't, I had been hysterically crying for about 24 hours cause I was in so much pain. And my teammates are like, you, you, you can't crawl on this glacier anymore. We can't take it. <laughs> so, so that was the one time in 17 years and about 45 races that, that I had to quit. Um, but there was, there was one other time after I had my first hip replacement that I tried to do a big expedition race that started with a 40 mile run. And, um, which I was running on it too soon and it actually cracked my femur. Ah. And I, Oh my God, I was in so much pain. So again, that was in the first 40 mile run. Like I couldn't walk after that, but took, I had to take so much ibuprofen. I thought I was going to die. Um, but I definitely did. And I, I probably thought about quitting a, a several times a day. Um, cause I, I was in so much pain. It was just un, almost unmanageable. And, um, but, and, and we were split, we were split on the team, like whether, whether we should or shouldn't. And I actually, one of my teammates, um, you know, talked me off the ledge and said, you know, we may not, we may be 10th place and not first, but I think it's more important for us to finish. And I said, you know, if you guys are willing to, to do that and, and finish, I'll, I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish this thing. So um, you know, it sucked, you know, they had to carry my stuff the whole time. I was on a tow line, but we decided to finish as a team. Wow. And, the, the humility that it had, that, that, that would require. Cause I, I would think that, that it'd be so challenging to be like, oh, I'm hurting my team. Yeah. It's it, that part sucks. Like it's one thing to like accept <clears throat> help or, or, you know, be the follower for a while when you know that your next time to lead is coming. Yeah. It's another thing to be the one that permanently sucks. Uh. <laughs> you know, it, you know, but I also like, that's why I asked them, I was like, is it more important for us to finish to like bail out here in the lead and, and feel like, Oh, bummer. We just had a medical or do we want to keep going and be 10th? Like it was a real question, you know? Yeah. And, and when the team decided that, that they wanted to keep going and, and be, you know, be ninth or 10th, I was like, if that's what you guys really want to do, I'm in, you know, wow. I just don't want to be, you know, if that's what you want to do, I'm in. So a lot of, like a lot of that stuff is sort of a, a team because it is possible that they would just go, you know what, this sucks so much that I'd rather just go home. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, yeah. what goes on in your mind when you reach that point of this is, this is horrible. Like, what am I doing out here? I'm in so much pain. How do you push through that? Well, oh, so I think a lot of that is that internal, like, you know, you sort of know at whatever point in your life, if you have that thing, you know, that, that when you have a goal and a dream and a mission that you were going to get it against all odds. Um, so you, you have a lot of that drive, you know, where things are going. Okay. You can keep going. Um, where it's hard is when things are like really, really, really sucking. And um, so I try to think about like, it's not about this moment right now. This moment right now is going to pass somehow, some way. Who do I want to be next week when mm. I go back to the fire station or when I go to my mom and dad's house and, they're at, and I'm telling them about the race? Do I want to be the person sitting there having eaten, showered, in a warm place, having a great life? Do I want to be the person that says, I quit? Or do I want to be the person that says, 
it really, really sucked. But, and I add a huge brick to my character wall, but mm. I got to the finish line. Mm. And, you know, so I have to decide who I'm going to be. In, not in this moment right now, but a week from now when I'm telling this story. What story am I going to tell? And mm. I'm, am I going to regret it? Mm. And the minute that you realize, like, if you sort of mentally let yourself quit, all the things that, which I've done a few times, like, okay, if I quit, here's all the things that are going to happen is I'm going to be at work and I'm going to have to tell these people the story. And then, and, and I'm going to, and I'm going to wonder if I'm still strong enough. And I'm going to wonder if I still have that drive and I'm going to, you know, and then you start all these things, these negative things that are going to come from that. And then you say, you know what, I have a decision right now in this moment to not have that outcome. I have a decision in this moment to change that outcome of my future self and all these questions I'm going to have. And then you kind of go, oh, I can, I can choose another path right now. Mm -hmm. I can be the person that finishes this. I can be the person that's telling this story of triumph against all odds. And I get to decide that right now. And, you know, and it, then it sort of, you know, it gives you, when you give yourself the option and the decision and you get to choose, um, I've always chosen, I want to be the person that is telling a different story next week. Mm. Uh, I have like 10 questions I want to ask you based on that. Um, part of, part of that <clears throat> to me, like you hear from other people, well, they'll say, you know, do things for you. Don't do things for other people. Part of that sounds a little bit, I, don't, I know it's not for you, but I, part of that sounds like making a decision based on what other people think. On the other hand, it is, who you are right so <clears throat> well you committed to these people like i mean you know you know it's it's one thing just out out in the world to to you know you do you you know but <laughs> when you have these three other people that you've made this commitment to to get to a finish line that's a heavy heavy decision what about on a on a iron man or a, another type of solo event yeah it's easier to quit when it's just you yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's when that's when i sort of default back to the you know I, I i'm adding a big brick to my character wall right now yeah um, but you know but it's a brick i'm going to get to add you know and and you know you know, look at the bricks right behind you like if you could if you look at all those bricks and kind of say you know every one of these things is something I struggled through, a tough decision I had to make, where I rose to the occasion, where I made the tough decision instead of the easy decision, um, where I, uh, you know, where I did something, you know, bigger than myself. I did something for someone else. Like all of these things are building your character. And so that's kind of how I see it is, is you know, every time I do something I'm proud of myself for, you know, I get to add a brick to my character wall. And my mission is to make that wall as, as high as possible before, before this party ends. Well, <laughs> damn, Robin. I mean, it's a pretty high wall from what I can see on the outside looking in. Sometimes I knock a few bricks off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know we're, uh, we don't have a ton of time left, but there was a story that you told that I've tried to retell people just because it's such a great story, but I'm sure I'm screwing it up. It's the one where you had an adventure race and you were, I forget where it was, but you, one of your teammates uh, got injured or something like that, literally hours before the start. Uh, and then you, you were in some village or something like that. Does that. Oh, I know. I know which one you're talking okay. about. So, so it's a, it's a, it, the story's about a guy named Dawat Mutang. And uh, it wasn't our team. It was actually the top friends team, team Intersport, but we were there. It was my first adventure race ever. Oh, wow. and, uh, it started in the middle of, of the Borneo rainforest. And um, right before the start, one of the guys on the top French team um, broke his ankle. And so like, instead of like going home, it literally took us three days to get to the start line. So first of all, I don't even know where they were going to go in the first place because the mission was for them to do the race and, and near an airport. So we're in this, you know, this tiny farming village. And these guys, instead of quitting, they decide they're going to walk around and start knocking on these huts <laughs> and see if they can find another guide <laughs> to come out and take a race with them. And sure as heck, I swear, they start knocking on the huts and like this, a door opens and you can see that they're quickly assessing like, okay, this is the guy that will fit the little lycra outfit that we have available. <laughs> and so they're like dressing him in the uniform and you know and and it's he walks out with his wife and his three children and they're kissing him goodbye and we're just like oh my god 
because I mean, this guy can't speak a word of French and they didn't speak a word of English. And so he couldn't communicate with them. And he had never done any of the sports. Oh my God. He had never been in a cave. He had never been in a canoe. He had never used a compass, never seen a map. He had never ridden a bike. Oh his... my gosh. And they line up to the freaking start line. I mean, and... did he have any idea what he was getting into? I mean, this is not just. No, but it, God bless him. The first thing he says on, on the video that I show is like, is, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I know I can do it with a team. So it was so cool because like right off the bat, he was like, I'm leaving my ego at the start line. I know I'm going to have to learn all this stuff, but if these guys are in, I'm in, you know, I'm going to do whatever they tell me. I'm going to be a great part of the team. And I, you know, he, you know, he just had like such a great attitude. Like I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm going to trust these people. And, you know, and his team blessed their hearts. They realized early on that he had a massive, 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 uh, quality that he brought to the team, which was, he knew exactly where he was going, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, like for the first 24, 30 hours of the race. So like they, they, you know, had that, you know, that term like luck is that moment where opportunity meets preparation. Yes. You know, so they had huge adventure racing knowledge and then they found, you know, so they were extremely well prepared, but then they found this opportunity in Dawat who knew how to, how to read the jungle. You know, and he knew how to get from village to village and he, you know, knew which way the rivers flowed and like, and what they could eat, you know, that they didn't have to carry with them. And, you know, just all this stuff. And they found this incredible opportunity in this guy and, and yada, yada, yada. They, they literally show him throughout the race, like learning to put a climbing harness on and learning to use his canoe paddle and learning to ride a bicycle, like in the middle of this race. Oh my God. And, and unbelievably they actually took second place on freaking believable out of 63 teams that i mean and this is not you know this isn't a 5k people this is like world class athletes uh i love that story because of a first of all it's like you said person over ability right i mean obviously <laughs> he had uh a standard base of, of ability but um the fact that he was understood right out of the gate that I can accomplish anything with the right team. Like, boom, we had the right person. And then yeah. I love how, I think when you told it before, you, you had actually contemplated not running the race. You, you're, you're, you know, you didn't, you were down one person. Um, and then to be able to say, no, here's an opportunity and, and to legitimately find somebody who could then come on board, which if anybody's done any adventure racing, that orientation is massive because as the saying goes, rowing harder doesn't help you if you don't know where you're going. If you're, going, mm -hmm. if you're heading in the wrong direction. So for him to actually bring that as an asset, that, yeah. that you know what that is? That's unexpectedly awesome. <laughs> That's yes, what that is. is. Unexpected awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... Uh, but it was, the hilarious thing was that was like our first race and we were the, an all-female team and we were the 63rd team across the finish line. And, um, and it was so cool because... Uh, you know, this guy that they just pulled out of the jungle, like we'd all been training our whole lives for endurance stuff. We were new at adventure racing, but you know, um, but he finished four days before us, four days. So his team finished in four and a half and my team finished in eight and a half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like they ran like the whole thing start to finish. Yeah. It, I remember. Fired me a lot though. Like, oh you know, my gosh. About like, oh, I'm not ready. I can't possibly you know, like you put all these barriers up in your mind, like, you know, about things you're not ready for or whatever. And then I, like in the back of my mind, I always hear like, well, Dawat would do it. I'm like, God dang it. <laughs> Dawat would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just seriously to have never, I mean, I remember watching that video and, ha and seeing him like get on a bike and be like, what is this? Like crazy, yeah. crazy. He launched himself over the handlebars because, <laughs> and it was so cute because he took ownership of it. He said, oh yeah, I've fallen once. And it was because, like, they showed me how to use the brakes, but I used the wrong one, and I just flipped over the handlebars. <laughs> you, you mentioned when you were adventure racing the the Kiwis and the Australians that you, that you synced up a little bit better with them. Is how much of that is just cultural with competitiveness and ego? Like, I'm assuming that some of the best athletes that you had the opportunity to work with were from you know america and maybe some other uh other western countries but from a cultural standpoint like what are the cultural things that the that the kiwis and australians were bringing to the table that differentiated them 
in your mind from some of the other nationalities? Well, I mean, well, they, well, they were very much like culturally kind of, um, you know, they were competitive. They wanted to win, but they were, but they didn't have that, like, you know, they didn't have that, that crazy, like, I'm going to like gossip about the other team or I'm going to like, they didn't, they don't want to have any part of that. Like I would actually start just talking about other teams and they'd, and they'd be like, Oh, look, a spider, look at this spider over here. And I'd be like, come on, I'm trying to get a good competitiveness going here. <laughs> and you know, they just wanted to have nothing. To do. Huh. Um, yeah, they're always looking at spiders and flowers and like, <laughs> they just wanted to focus on like what we were doing. They didn't care what anybody else was doing. And, um, you know, and then also sort of that leaving their egos at the start line thing. Like, yeah. You know, I, I learned from them to raise your hand and say, I'm sucking right now. And like, mm -hmm. and how okay that was and how like, it wasn't just about leaving your ego and sort of having the humility. It was about helping the team. Like it wasn't going to help the team if you fell apart. Like if you just shut up and didn't say that you were dehydrated, hungry, dizzy, you had a fever, you know, your feet hurt, whatever. Like when you keep those things to yourself because you don't want to appear weak, um, you're, you're not helping the team. You know, you're actually going to be holding the team back the next day when you can't move anymore. Yeah. So to catch those things early was key. So like the minute anybody wasn't feeling right, it was incumbent upon them to get that fixed. And a lot of that was with the help of the team. Yeah. You know, get a tow line, take my stuff for a little bit. I have to recover. I have to eat. You know, I'm going to be back here. Let's switch shoes. Uh, you know, we did that a bunch of times. Like luckily I wear a men's 11. So we were switching shoes all the time. Like you'd get a bunch of blisters like, in your shoes and so you just switch shoes <laughs> so you just get them somewhere else but like that like those guys were just so so cool like that and and i've raced with other like really super top like top x terra guys and, and top iron man guys and and um you know it was really tough for them to be the one that needed help uh -huh. and so they would go into the hole sometimes you know physiologically and psychologically because they were never in that position of not being the strong one and they couldn't really deal with it very well. Mm -hmm. and, um, I actually raced with a guy who like did complete revisionist history when he was telling his wife afterwards. And that's why I was like, wow, the ego is unbelievable. Like oh. he, um, he actually fell apart in the middle of a race for about five, six hours. He was a, a complete soup sandwich. And it was cool. Like that's how it is, you know, like, you know, so we, we helped him, we stopped, we got him back, you know, ate fed, you know, like did the, did the whole thing, took his stuff. Um, he, he finally came back and he was stronger near the end, you know, just like it's supposed to happen. Um, but when I heard him talking to his wife afterwards on the phone, he said, yeah, I was really strong the whole time. You know, there are a couple of people on the team kind of held us up, you know, that's why we didn't, you know, we weren't first, but you know, it's just how it is. You know, some people hold you up and I, so I was helping them as best I could and, huh. and like completely, you know, didn't share the story. And I was like, wow, like, like how protective that poor person has to be of, of what they think of themselves and their ego. Yeah. Yeah. Like they can't even tell their own wife what happened out there really. Yeah. And so that was sort of a moment on that particular guy that I was like, I, I can't race with that person again, mm -hmm. you know, cause they're not okay with, with being a real member of, of the team. You know, if they're mm -hmm. not the strongest one, they're not, they're not okay. And you can't, you know, you can't race with, with people like it, not just race with marry, live with right. <laughs> you know like you know you're choosing your teammates all day every day and you have to choose well you know you have to choose your teammates well and you know and that's you know that's in, in every aspect but i did find that the, my kiwi and aussie buddies always taught me something out there about how to be you know not just how to race but how to be oh that's interesting yeah, they're always like, oh, she'll be right, mate. You know, that it was like put a positive spin on stuff. And I, I was over in Australia a couple of years ago and, and uh, a couple of things had come up. And yeah, you consistently hear, no worries, mate, no worries. And I'm like, how cool is that to have that woven into the fabric of your culture to where when something is, when you face adversity, and no worries, mate, no worries. And yeah. I mean, it just puts you at ease and it's okay. Mm -hmm. We'll figure it out. All right, buck up. Let's go. We'll get it. Like I was like, oh yeah, if they believe we're going to be okay, you know, and we always were. Like, and it wasn't always perfect the way things out, but it was always okay. So they, yeah. they never really lied to me. It's always going to be okay. Yeah. But you know, they're just like, we're just going to make the best decisions and do the best we can in the moment. We can't worry about what happened 
yesterday. We can't worry about it's going to happen in five minutes from now. Like yeah. this is us, you know, right now. And we got to make the best decisions, take care of each other, move as fast as we can. And that's our only job. And, you know, and, you know, if, if we win, we win. If we don't, we're going to, we're going to try to win the next one, you know, but um, it was very, like, very internal, you know, the way that we, the way that we raced. And, you know, certainly if you saw another team, you'd want to try to catch them, but we weren't racing on, on their schedule. We're racing on our schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap things up here, tell people a little bit about Project Athena and, and what the nonprofit is for. So um, after I started having my hips replaced, um, gosh, about 10 years ago now. Yeah. Oy. Um, so, uh, I, I realized, you know, well, I need a new sport. So that's when I started paddling, but then I also realized, you know what, it might be time for me to sort of take all this adventure background and experience and skills and, and see if there was something, a higher sense of purpose, something I could do with it. And I had a really good friend that I, that who I still have. Um, <laughs> thank you, baby Jesus. Her name is Louise and she uh, is now a two-time breast cancer survivor. And as she was going through her setbacks and her chemo and the days where she could barely just get out to the mailbox and back. She said, you know what? I just decided that after all this, I was going to climb the seven summits. Like she put this huge, hairy, audacious goal on her calendar so that like the cancer and the baldness and the steroids and all the stuff she had to endure for so many years, you know, that was just going to be a minor setback because she had this bigger thing that she was, was training for and that she was going to be doing. And so sort of taking a page out of her playbook, that's when I, um, decided to start my paddling, you know, start doing paddling stuff. Like, look, I'm not going to focus on what I can't do. I'm going to focus on what I can do and create, mm-hmm. you know, a different kind of comeback. And so that's where the idea came to be like, what if we did this for other people? Like, what if we help people turn their setbacks and challenges into comebacks and help them put a huge, hairy, audacious goal on their calendar? So it kind of started out being like sort of taking survivors on their personal adventurous dreams. But then we discovered that um, it worked even better if we sort of created some adventurous dreams. And um, so over the last, since we started in 2008, and uh, so over the last 10 years, um, we've taken adventurers and survivors on, on adventures like running on the Great Wall of China, or, um, or one of the adventures we do every year is a Grand Canyon rim to rim. That's one of the ones we created that's sort of been standard the last 10 years, or we hike all the way across the Grand Canyon in one day. And, and yeah. back the next. Oh, <laughs> so boy. we do rim to rim to rim wow. uh, in two days. And we also do uh, a, an adventure we created called the Keys to Recovery. And uh, it's a kayak and bike ride all the way from Key Largo to Key West. Huh. Wow. So it's 120 miles from Key Largo huh. to Key West, kayaking and riding. And um, yeah, it's really, it's a really cool thing because it's sort of, these survivors are doing things that people who haven't had a setback, like their friends and family, would never even dream of doing. That's why it's so much fun for them because, mm. you know, there's, well, last year they had a double mastectomy and this year they hiked across the Grand Canyon in one day. Oh my you gosh. Know? Or like, you know, last year I had my leg <laughs> amputated and this year I walked a marathon down the coast of San Diego, you know, with Project Athena. And, you know, it's just neat for them to be able to show people how awesome they are, like, you know, to, to, to get their inner badass back. Um, you know, after they've gone through something where they wonder, you know, about themselves and yeah. and what they're capable of. So we, um, we train people, we give them their transportation, we get them all their gear. I lead all the adventures with my team of, of crazy semi-broken adventure racers, you know, kind of sprinkled, sprinkled throughout. <laughs> and, um, and we also take fundraisers too. So about half our group, uh, probably about a third of our group are the survivors and two thirds of our groups are fundraisers. And that's how the foundation sustains is bringing um, survivors and fundraisers together and they do the whole adventure together wow. so it's really cool so it's a little bit different than other um you know sort of charitable marathons and things like that where you're like you raise money and then you run the marathon which is wonderful but ours is like you raise money and you and you you know do the hike or the paddle with the people that your fundraising dollars are actually helping and so they get to see the power and impact of their fundraising dollars and all of these survivors living their adventurous dream huh. and, you know, going home a whole different person than when they, when they got on the plane. Wow. And yeah. All of their questions about themselves and all of their fears and all of their wondering um, has turned into this victorious comeback. And, you know, we get to experience that with them. So it's that's really- so cool. 
Yeah. And so we want you to come with us. Anybody who's listening can come with us. Um, I would totally, I will take you up on that. I would love to do that. Where can people go to find out more about that? Is it? Um, Projectathena.org. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, www.projectathena.org. And you can apply to be a, um, an Athena or a Zeus. We actually take male survivors too. So it's not just female survivors. Um, So we call them Zeus instead of Athena. Or you can apply to be um, a god or a goddess who are our fundraisers. And um, then you get the same training plan as our fundraiser. I mean, as our um, Athenas and Zeuses do. So you do the, the training in parallel right alongside everybody else that's going to the adventure. And our, our training programs are for about four months before each adventure. And we not only you know, do the training program, we teach you how to be an endurance athlete. Everything from the body chemistry to what to wear, how to pack, what to do, what not to do. Um, so people can, you know, who are always wondering what they're capable of. This is like a perfect... 101 endurance athlete you know start to finish you know you'll be an endurance athlete when when you get done with our with our program how, how long is the program uh usually four months leading up to an adventure coach okay. amanda um coach amanda is your online coach and she is not kidding around by the way. <laughs> i, I <laughs> can't imagine anybody working with you would be anything less than that so <laughs> And, and yes, yeah, so what we do our adventures, like Amanda's out front, I'm sort of floating around the middle with my brother Jack, who's the awesome endurance athlete. And in the back, we have a guy who we call the Reaper, um, who um, is was not only an amazing adventure racer from back in the day, he was also a, uh, a best ranger winner. So wow. he's like a superstar uh, in the back of the pack. And he just wow. like people back together, whatever they need, and like puts them back in the game. So everyone stays, you know, between Amanda and the Reaper and helps each other out and becomes each other's teammates. And it's like, it's really neat. Like we sort of come as strangers and we genuinely like leave as family after these. Wow. I can't, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Phenomenal stuff. Robin, thank you so much for your time today. This has been uh, more than enlightening. It's been an honor to, to speak with you and to hear some of these stories and to extract some of your wisdom. I have a billion other questions. Maybe we could do another call sometime in the well, near future. Yeah, come to the canyon, dude. I'll, I'll w- hang out for two days. I would love to do that. How often do you do it? Uh, it's it's the last um, it it's the last week in August. So it's like August, sort of like twenty sixth through twenty eighth this year. Like okay. Time time frame. So yeah, so come with us. That'd be awesome. Oh, you can meet the, <laughs> meet the reaper. Meet the reaper. Hopefully, not too much. <laughs> I'd probably get to know the Reaper. Reaper yeah, he'd, he'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> I, I did an adventure race uh, with some buddies a year and a half ago, and I was definitely the anchor of the team, not by choice. And uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was tough. I mean, it, and that was just – that was a – what was it, an eight-hour event or whatever? But, um, yeah, it's uh, – it's, it, 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 building the character wall, right? You know, mm-hmm. continuing to add a brick at a time as best you can. Uh, Robin, thank you again so much. This was great. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I'll, I'll see you in the Canyon, buddy. I hope you get better. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.